Hi, I'm Michelle Kung, an editor at A16Z. And in our new podcast series, Time to Build LA, we're taking a deeper look at investing in company building in Los Angeles. LA has long been known as a mecca for entertainment, gaming, and the aerospace and defense industries. But now it's also the third largest tech hub in the United States. Snap, TikTok, and SpaceX all have headquarters here. Investments in the region continue to increase, and scores of new founders, venture capitalists, and tech employees relocated here during the pandemic. To celebrate the LA community and the city's growth, A16Z recently hosted Time to Build Los Angeles, an event where we invited LA-based investors, founders, and operators from across a diverse range of industries to talk about company building in LA. In this episode, Mark Andreessen, the co-founder and a general partner at A16Z, and Ari Emanuel, the CEO of the global sports and entertainment company Endeavor, are interviewed by A16Z general partner Sriram Krishnan about the evolution of the entertainment industry, where it's headed next, and the story of how they first met. What follows is a recording of a live conversation. The audio has been edited and abridged for clarity. As a reminder, please note that the content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com disclosures. So we are in LA Tech Week. And we wanted to put together something really special, which represented both everything LA and everything tech. We have somebody who needs no introduction for creating Netscape, for Opsware, for a little known uh, little firm called Andreessen Horowitz, and kind of tweets a lot. And next up, we have somebody who's pretty much changed the world of entertainment, known as a super agent. You might all seen him uh, played by Jeremy Piven on Entourage as Ari Gold. But then kind of gone on to conquer everything from UFC to bowling to if you kind of to, to, if you go to a live event, he's probably involved in it somehow. So without any further ado, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Mark Andreessen and Ari Emanuel. Give it up. <laughs> so let's start with the serious stuff. What's the meet cute story between you two? How did the first of, the two of you first meet? Ari, you, Mark was on the cover of Forbes, and I actually don't remember the article. And it's what I normally do because I I have this phrase that I try and create serendipity. I read the article, and I blind called Mark. I'd never met him before. This time he picked up the phone call. I said I'd like to meet you. I read the article. I was in, you know kind of thought you, it was incredible. I said, I'll fly up. No, he says, no, I'll fly down. He flew down. We had a meeting. I think in the meeting, I started raising money because we had just started a merchant bank called Rain. He said he would put in money, but he wanted to bring his two friends along. One was Nikesh, and one was Egon Durbin. Uh, Egon Durbin uh, from Silver Lake is my largest investor. And that's just the serendipity of life and kind of how I create serendipity, and that's how we met. Now, the number one rule of business is you never, ever cold call. <laughs> <laughs> I only cold call. You only cold call, <laughs> exactly. We are in LA Tech Week, after all, and at the LA Tech ecosystem, the scene here in LA 
What do you think? There's been this long-running, you know, basically drama story, you know, story arc over the last 25 or 30, year, 30 years. I mean, my first meetings with the big entertainment companies were in like 1994, like explaining the internet, and, you know, being like, okay, this thing might be a big deal someday. Um, and, you know, th th there was this extraordinarily long period of time where there, in theory, was going to be a convergence. You know, used to, the buzzword literally used to be convergence. And it would literally be a coming together of, you know, the two great California industries of uh, entertainment and, and, uh, and culture um, and then tech. Um, and, it, you know, in theory, it was going to happen. In theory, it was going to happen. And then, you know, it turned out to be, you know, war a lot of the time. And I think, you know, it's fair to say the entertainment industry viewed, you know, new tech for a long time as a threat. Um, still do. And, and, and that may, may still be the case. Um, and then, you know, in theory, the tech industry at some point was going to do, you know, do entertainment. But, you know, the running joke was like, you know, we're so, we're so nerdy and, and stiff in Northern California. If we made a movie, it would be like the movie version of like the router, the manual for a Cisco router, you know, not, not be the most, you know, compelling, exciting content in the world. And so there was this weird, like, shadow boxing thing where it, 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 nothing ever really came together. And then it feels like, you know, probably, I guess probably Netflix was the big breakthrough. Or well, I think it probably started a little bit in gaming. That was, and then entertainment companies that we consider entertainment movie companies thought they could take the IP and, and, and they didn't realize that was making billions of dollars and they were not that important in the movie business. Um, but maybe now it will happen with kind of what Unity's doing and, you know, Web3 and, you know, so who, who knows? I, I, my, my sense is the first company that actually did it was, was Netflix mm -hmm. to kind of bring it if we, Defying that as uh, yeah, yeah. technology, and it was kind of a two-part thing, right? Which is, you know, one is Netflix all of a sudden is a distribution medium for for video, like a, a new primary distribution medium. You know, the first new one probably what since DVDs, and you know, probably videotapes yeah. before that, satellite TV. But the first one really out of Silicon Valley, and then the other was, of course, Netflix then actually started making content, and to like, and I, I, I saw the first. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, what, what was it? There's a little show about Washington, D.C. Ah. Somebody got arrested for... You know, oh. yeah. House of Cards, for those of you. <laughs> yeah. the, the brilliant and amazing yeah. House of Cards. It was a classic story. So their stock had fallen because they did the double pricing and, you know... The Quickster. Whole, yeah, all the whole craziness with the DVDs and everything. And then a company uh, I had started called MRC had this treatment. Fincher was attached. HBO was going to do a pilot. And Ted came and realized, okay, we gotta figure this out, and he put 13 episodes up at, I think it was $150 million. Fincher went overboard, we needed another $15 million. And Netflix, I mean, HBO could not believe that we were gonna go to Netflix and do that over the brand of HBO. 10 million to 150 million, it was an easy conversation. It was off to the races at that point. Yeah. So next, fast forward to 2022, right? Like, you know, Netflix just had, you know, maybe not the greatest earnings quarter, right? Is the golden age of TV over? Like, Mark just grumbles all the time about he's not finding anything interesting to watch. Or where do you see content going? That, that is, that is like the biggest lie in the world. All I get all the time from them, have you seen this show? Have you seen that show? Have you seen this show? I mean, it's like, that's a, that's a fallacy. And you know that. Cornucopia. Well, okay. Is the quality holding up? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. All right. I mean, it depends on, you know, you can get content from anywhere. There's plenty of great content. There's a lot of bad content, but okay, don't watch it. Yeah. Okay. How many, how many, how many, how many, TV how many things are on my list for Netflix? 50. How many TV, how many, how many TV shows are being filmed this year in the, I think Hollywood it's, um, television shows between non-scripted and scripted. I want to say 
900. 900. And Probably that, more. And 20 years ago, that would have been? In, in, in 2011, I want to say it was, no, 2009, it was 39. 2011, I think it was 130. And now it's... Right. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which and then, you know, the, the problem is it used to be a, a drama for linear television would be two and a half, three million dollars. Now, uh, an episode. Now it's um, 16 million. That's actually good for me. So I don't know what the moans were about. You know? No boy. <laughs> yeah. What, what are we talking about here? Okay. <laughs> Um, and you know you can't get special effects people. I mean, you can't, there's no studio space. I mean, there's some, you know, physical issues surrounding all that. That's hopefully why tech and us come together. Maybe there's ways to figure that out. So let's get into that, right? So we had, you know, just some examples: a Mandalorian shot entirely in yep. this, you know, Unreal Engine powered thing. We've had. Uh, Star Trek Discovery, one of Mark's favorite shows, shot by motion capture in the our actors' homes. We had indie movies do great VFX. Do you think, A, is that a democratization of movies done by indie filmmakers coming up? Mm, no. Right, what do you think? <laughs> what, what do you think, Mark? <laughs> well, so, so a couple of things. So one is Hollywood has had a pattern over the decades of, you know, it sort of hits a creative, I don't know, whatever, wall of some form, and then there's a reinvention of the medium of film, and that happened in the 1970s, right, with the new Hollywood. It happened again in the 1990s with the Indies and Quentin Tarantino. Like, is, isn't that new? I mean, l listen, there's always going to be people pushing technology and pushing what that means. It's happened in the music business. Music, to make an album now, it's almost cost you nothing before it's cost you a lot of money. Is it going to happen in a movie? Yeah. But then there's going to be filmmakers that want to do it the old way and on film and so there's no like set rules to it. Do I think that um, because of that, pricing is going to come down? No. No. Because you're going to have to put actors in it. You're, it does take writers. Writers cost now a lot of money because they're doing three or four projects. So the economics are going to be the economics. Is there going to be technology around shooting stuff maybe cheaper and, and that brings them? Yes, possibly. Um, and just to answer the other question. so. In 1974, Charlie Bluehorn, none of you know who he was. He was running Golf and Western. That did. He's in the offer. You can see him now. Yes. He's in Par yeah. Paramount just made this TV yes. show, Paramount Streaming, about the making of The Godfather. So, Tremendously good movie. Yeah. He, you can learn he, all about He goes and says, in 19, I think it was 1974, in Variety, which is a trade paper in Hollywood, he goes, the movie business is over. When I start the firm in 95, they go, the television business is over. And then, um, <laughs> and then I would, at the time, there was four networks going to five. It was going to be WB and, and UPN. And I was like, how could the television business be over and they're starting two new distribution points? So all I would say to you is, you and I would never pay for ads on, on direct-to-consumer. There's going to be AVOD. There's going to be more. If it's now 900, it's going to be 1,500 by the time we're done. Distribution's expanding and you're gonna have to fill the pipes. And if you just look at the numbers right now, people are going to Paramount Plus, they're watching the offer, and then when they're done watching the offer, they, they get rid of Paramount. And the only way to keep them is either through sports or through new content. Right. And so there's just gonna be more and more content being built. And then they're, they're gonna have to figure out the economics because the economics are extraordinary right now. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I'm going to ask a question to Mark, though I think Ari has a strong opinion on this, so I'm going to let Mark go, go first. So, best movie of the summer, IMO, Top Gun Maverick, right? Uh, this, we had multiple MCU movies come out. This week, we have a LOTR prequel and I believe a Game of Thrones prequel come out. Mark, what do you think is happening and do, will we ever see original IP again? And then Ari can respond. Well, so, I, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm going to drive him straight through the ceiling. Um, <laughs> There's the system. I mean, there's the system. There's whatever the studio system or whatever it's that you would call it, sort of the, the, the inheritance of the studio system. And there's sort of quote unquote mainstream. And then, of course, there's this like extraordinary, you know, kind of, you know, what, what's the indie scene of today? It's YouTube. It's TikTok. It's, it's this like complete, just this incredible long tail in this incredible creative universe. Um, and so you, you've got this weird thing. So, right. So one of, the, one of the hallmarks of the evolution of the entertainment industry, let's see if you agree with this, is the, the previous medium becomes the content for the new medium, right? And so, so written stories become the content for uh, stage plays. Stage plays become the content for movies, right? Movies now become the content for streaming services, right? And so, so that's part of what happens. And so you bring kind of all these old mediums, al mediums along with you, but you also get new creators doing new kinds of things. And they're not making movies. They're not making TV shows. You know, they're making original, they're making original, original video, short form content. Um, you know, they're having, uh, you know, they're having a completely different kind of relationship with their audience. And so you've got this completely parallel universe running. And of course, there's some crossover, right? Which is you've got some of those people that then want to sign up, you know, with you and then want to become, you know, TV or movie stars. But you also have this whole parallel world. Agree with that? Yeah, yeah, with yeah. that? I completely agree. I mean, it's the basis of the firm. So my, the George Gwilla book, Life After Television, is, is there's going to be more distribution than ever. That's why we built the firm, because we get more verticals, books, et cetera, you know, social. So one form of distribution is social. One form of distribution is movies and television. One form is betting, gambling. One form is games. Yeah, there's just more distribution and more content because we have more and more free time, and that's what people want. And 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 there is crossover to them, right? Um, and that's ultimately how we're built to make sure that we're not perfect at it. Make sure that happens. And and when somebody creates an incredible piece of content on social that can elevate up, it, it, that's hopefully what happens. But that does not mean, based on your question, mm -hmm. there will not be original IP. I went through the whole period when shows out of the UK, right? The Office, I put it together. We represented a star in the UK and gave it to Greg Daniels, who I represent, and we put it on the air. That happens. But then there's just Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm, and that's yeah. original. Well, oh, that was on. original. When did Seinfeld start? <laughs> when did Seinfeld premiere? 1990. Well, Curve's been on for 13 years, yeah. and then so that was another nine years, and then yeah, I mean yeah, it's about 23 years ago. 23 years ago. Yeah. So that's pretty. I mean, it's it's great. It's it's, it's fantastic. It's not. There's tons of it's original not, it's not shows. A, it's not original in the last. Oh, shut I mean, if it's up! A, if it's a, I'm gonna send you over a, WhatsApp. Tons of original shows. I'll send you the titles. If it's look, there's just because it's not sci-fi doesn't mean it's not original. Well, look, <laughs> the offer. I just mentioned the offer. There to the point. You're, you're, you're to the point now where you're making literally TV shows about 50-year-old movies, and you're making TV shows about the starting of the Lakers, real starting. Exactly. Of the exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like everything. But that this, doesn't, this, that's this, not. This, oh, so now we're categorizing everything yeah, that way. Nostalgia yeah. acts. They're great nostalgia acts, but they're nostalgia acts. Uh, like, well, I'm going to send it to you. Where's, I'm going to send okay. you the list. I'll send it to everybody in this room. Okay. Yeah. Where's, where's Pulp Fiction? <laughs> like, where's, where's, where's my Pulp Fiction? 
He's actually going to probably write his. I hear he's writing his next last movie. Let me challenge you. Hold on, hold on, Mark. Mark, Mark where's, the, where's the new one? Hold on, hold on. Let me oh, challenge you. Okay, if you think this is true, why do you think that is? Why wait, 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 wait. Are there no original ideas here? I'm sure there are original ideas here. How many of them are you prepared to, green, uh, to, to sign up in Greenlight? Uh, that's not my job. That's your job. All right, okay, all right. All right, all right, all right. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about the future of content, right? On two things. First of all, one thing is we are, which I know, Mark, you're passionate about. Like, how do you think we are, uh, or just kind of, you know, some of the more cinema immersive experience, how do you think that's going to change? Content. Yeah, so look, the bold case for VR, you know, the, the, the bold case for VR is like, is, is really powerful. Of course, Isn't it AR that the bold case is for? Not no, even. definitely not. The bold case is definitely VR. So, really? so, so, so this is actually a We're going to make a bet right now. This is a great East Coast, West Coast thing. And, and, and Ari's currently challenging, he's currently channeling the East Coast. Ari's West Coast. He, well, so, yes. But it, it, Emotionally, it, I'm East Coast. Emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. So what I would say is like all of the non-nerds think that AR is like the big the big thing. Um, all the nerds think that VR is going to be the big thing. Like so because the non-nerds like like. I'm not sure if I should be insulted by that. Well, you need to, you need you need you need to decide, and hopefully this will keep you up late tonight as you try to figure okay, out whether that good. was an insult. Um, so so look, the non-nerds like they like real life. Like they like they like real life. Like they get up in the morning, like the world's a cool place. They hang out with lots of cool people. Like it's all great. They have like a cool time. And so the idea of a, a right. <laughs> So the idea of a, of a medium like VR that would blank out the real world and replace it with something else seems like it must be bad, and a, and a medium like AR that feels like it would overlay on the real world seems like it would be good. What us nerds know is that the world sucks. <laughs> right? The world's not like that. The world's not cool like you that. You actually think the world sucks? Well, I'm, I'm, well, I'm asking you a question. Sir. Do you actually think the world sucks? <laughs> Do you actually think it sucks? I think for Because you have a fucking good life. I, you think it sucks? <laughs> you actually think it sucks? If you think it sucks, we're all fucked. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, it's I'm leaving. It's a, re it's a reasonably good point. Okay. Um, reasonably. No, but for a lot of people in the world, the world does suck. Like a lot of people live, live in places where there's nothing interesting going on. A lot of people live in places where there aren't interesting people That's to talk to. That's why there's 900 shows on the there, air. There are no <laughs> shows they can watch. So, so look, if, if, the, if, the, if the world is not that great, then the idea of the actual medium that actually puts you in a different world it's like, is, is incredibly compelling. And so the, the actual question would be like, what is the ratio basically between those two populations? And I think it's just like obviously true that for most people you're, you're avoiding my question, does the world suck? <laughs> I actually think the world's really good. I think there's some bad things that happen, and I think there's probably going to be a place for, I guess I'm non-nerd, for us non-nerds, and there's going to be a place for the nerds, and it doesn't mean that they can't coexist. Well, okay. So I'm gonna, let me make the stronger, stronger pro-VR argument. The stronger pro-VR argument is that, it's, so sometimes it gets referred to by people in the field, it's, it's the last medium, right? And then this is, a, as I say, this is a very provocative statement because we've had many, many different forms of entertainment media, you know, basically through, through, through the centuries, right? But, you know, they've all ended up, like the, the best case scenario, like today, is that, you know, it's on the screen on the wall and maybe it's got the 3D or whatever, but like that, you know, that's what it is. Um, and so, but, but, the, but the point of the final medium that I think people should, you know, long run people should think about is like, look, if you can take the entire sensory apparatus, if you can literally be in the thing, then I, then I agree with you. Then it's the, it's, it, and then it's like the last meeting, because there's no, there's no place to go yeah, after that. Yeah, but I don't that, have right? to make that decision now. Yeah. No, when, you when it comes, yeah, yeah. I'll be the first one in. Yeah, right. making money. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so next, changing gears, a lot of people here, you know, are involved in the theater economy. They may be creators themselves, they may be involved in theater companies. Um, at A6 and Z, we definitely are, you know, Ari, I'm curious, like, people with audiences, creators with audiences, they could be 
sports stars, movie stars, mm -hmm. you know, you do a lot of work with them. Where do you see that going? Why is it important? Where do you see that headed? The interesting thing about our two firms is we've built a business that it started out in the movie and television business, and then it went to non-scripted books, music, um, theater, then we went to sports, went to fashion, art, betting, taste, I mean food, <clears throat> and then we built layers, you know, a licensing business, a commercial sponsorship business, so that when we enter somebody's life, whether that be cricket, or whether that be an actor or, in, or influencer, we have the ability to kind of take them global and also take them across all the things that they want to do to build a business. And whether that be Mark Wahlberg or Dwayne Johnson or whomever to a, a, a powerful influencer. And so they are all realizing the value of their brands um, and that they have the, the impact they can do. And, you know, we talked about this this morning. You know, you have a big actor, a big actress, or sports star. <clears throat> you know, the, they love what they do in acting or, or in the sport they're in, but they also realize that's kind of like a commercial that enables them to make money across all these other places. And that's the difference, I think, that we've realized. Um, we started this thing called Talent Ventures. You know, we, we invest off our balance sheet to make sure we're kind of enabling certain things that we can influence. And that's where all these people now, stars or people of influence or that have social followings, realize the, the power that they have in all this downstream or upstream economics and, and brands. And that's kind of what the firm is now built to do. Um, we call it architecture, how we inter introduce that across the platform. And that's what we do. I don't know if that answered your question. Well, I think it does. It's, it's really about the power of having a large audience. Speaking of it, Mark, you have a million followers on Twitter. Two questions. One, what do you think of just the power of having an audience as a creator? And where do you think that's headed? And two, when are you going to tweet again? I had to get back. Who, wants to, who wants to see Mark tweet again? Uh, <laughs> OK, sure. Some people, okay. yeah, I don't know about that. Like, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of hesitation here up on stage. Um, so look, I think there's a, so this is where, again, I would, I would, like, I would like to be a super, super bull uh, on the following, which I think sort of the social networking revolution, the idea of sort of having, having these sort of direct brands, direct followings uh, through social media, I think is probably still significantly under, underestimated. Um, I would go so far as to say, I, I, I think I we, I think we might be in the final era of corporate brands. I actually think this might be it for corporate brands or product brands because fundamentally, if you think about it, like why does the corporate brand exist, right? Or why does the product brand exist? It's because from the era of mass marketing, mass production, mass media, where you had like these very thin, narrow pipes to be able to get messages to people. So you had to like run TV commercials and you had to like put a brand, put a brand on things and, and put it on the, on the shelves. But now in the sort of peer-to-peer -peer connected world that we have where you can you know, pick the people you want to follow and have this kind of parasocial relationship with them and kind of be part of their lives, um, all of a sudden it's like, okay, now I can actually have a relationship with a person. And a relationship with a person will always trump the relationship with a company, right? And so I, I actually think that like, I, I think basically anybody with a large scale following is probably dramatically underpunching their weight today in terms, of, uh, in terms of what's possible with that. I agree with that. So, on, okay, here's a good question. So on, I, I, just, I, I, I went on Twitter basically because I wanted to chin a, mil, a million Twitter followers. And <laughs> Elon's, Elon's up to 100 and probably 20 million Twitter followers, something like that. There are a lot of questions about numbers. And I don't want to get in trouble. So I am, I am, I am, uh, I am one slash 120th of an Elon, right? Like, <laughs> just in terms of follower count. 
right? So I'm, I'm like, I don't know, I'm like 12 micro elons or something, right? But like, our but that's powerful. Our, well, that's the thing. It's like our 12 micro elons, right? Um, is is that is that a proportionate thing? Do I, the do question I have for you: If you actually put your mind to it, where do you? How many do you think you can get? I don't. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> I think these guys have laid out a playbook where, if you really put your mind to it, I think you could get up to 50. I, I think I probably could now. I think it's an, I just think that this is a playbook that actually hasn't gotten right. I think everybody, everybody in social media today is still experimenting. No, and everybody, we, listen, we don't, we don't actually the have a playbook. The old yet. guard is, you know, you have to protect the brand, you have to really kind of, you know, not oversaturate. They have written completely a different, like, go for it, doesn't right. matter, and there is consequences to that. Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, maybe we'll see you on social media someday. Yeah, maybe. But, so the title of the session was ostensibly uh, Art of the Deal, you know, not regular people. And you know, both of you are legendary for deal making, right? So Ari, what do you now know about buying a company, making a deal? Because a lot of people here are in VC, they're founders, you mm. know, and someday they want to be where both of you are. What do you now know about making a deal that you didn't know when you got started? And you've made some big ones, UFC probably one of the biggest ones. What do you now know? How do you go about it? Well, you know, listen, I, I would say to you, most of the time when I'm trying to either buy a company or make a deal, and the hardest thing for me, because I do have ADHD and I just want to get, you know, you, you do have to know how to shift gears. Like in the television business, when I was first starting out, you went from first gear to fifth gear, and, and then, you know, because you had seasons, and by May you knew the show was going, the movie business was a lot slower than that. Buying companies, running a company, you know, you really have to slow it down, and you actually have to show up. Um, I think 90% of you come with all the baggage, good and bad, but showing up, coming up with good ideas, and being present. And, you know, I'm in, in the middle of one right now trying to get a deal done. You have to be relentless. So talk about it, because there are some stories about how long you've courted some of these companies? How many phone calls? Yeah, a, a lot, I would just say. But you know, you just have to be relentless and you have to be creative in how you approach because it, you know, it can be, I, I can be exhausting. I know. And, and then, so when you go at them, you have to kind of be, bring some charm to it and everything. But you have to just keep on showing up because, and that takes a lot of emotional endurance. Um, and I think it's the hardest thing that we all have, especially with social and it's all interact. And you have to come with great ideas of where you would take it. Because on the UFC deal, none of the numbers on paper worked out at the beginning. And we were in the middle of it. It was nine days of hell. My, my, my phone was on my chest and just solving problems. And then Brexit happened. The banking system fell apart. I mean, it was, it was a disaster. But you know, and in the middle of it, one of my partners said, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, no, we're not sure we are doing this. And I was, and, and, and that's just what it takes. It just, just takes hanging in there, having emotional endurance, and, 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 and when you have to get on a plane and do the things you have to do, you just have to do it. It doesn't matter how tired or how exhausted or how emotionally trying it is. And I think that's the hardest thing to do, kind of when you're starting a firm, getting that emotional endurance to kind of weather um, those storms because they all happened to us um, in the 27 years COVID was horrible 08 was horrible I mean you just have to that's kind of the secret sauce if you can have that emotional endurance so and it's also in the deal and trying to buy a company or build a company 
Which may be a good segue into this. I mean, everyone's super happy here, but I think a lot, a lot of people, what's on top of mind is the market. Everything is down. You know, everything across the board is down. A lot of people are doing flat rounds or some raise money. Or if you're a founder, you're dealing with laying people off. Mm-hmm. And so you folks have been through a lot of market cycles, you know, been through all of it yourself, your own companies. But people here are kind of dealing with this and maybe having sometimes like a really tough time. How do you think they should approach it from a mindset perspective? What advice would you have for them? Maybe Mark first. <laughs> so Sean Parker had the best quote of all time. And I'll just prepare you ahead of time. Every, every audience is hate this quote, so I'll just, I'll just prepare you for that. Uh, Sean Parker had the best comment on what, it, what it's like to be a startup founder. He said, being a startup founder is like chewing glass. Eventually, you start to like the taste of your own blood. <laughs> yeah. And it always gets this exact reaction. Um, That's true, though. And he's right. Like, yeah. it, is, it, is, it is brutally difficult. And I, and I actually think it's, it's you, know, we, we, you know, we live in a culture in which people have, like, you know, popular culture that's like these very positive interpretations of how incredible it is to be a founder. And then there's all these, you know, negative, you know, kind of hit pieces and so forth. And then there's just kind of the reality in the middle. And the reality in the middle is it's just it's always really hard. Like, there's, just, there's, there's always a, a lot of really hard uh, things going. Uh, going on, and then and then there's also I I kind of rail on this a little bit. There, there's this in, you know in the valley in particular, there's this kind of fail fast you know kind of culture mm-hmm. you know kind of when something's not working like give up quickly. And there, there's a little that makes a little bit of sense in certain circumstances, but by and large it's kind of the opposite advice. You know that you you, you tend to find the great fo- the great uh, founders following, which basically is like when the going gets hard, the answer generally is just like work harder uh, and fight it harder. That's and, true in entertainment too. Yeah. I mean, Greg Daniels created The Office. Jeff Sucker, he did six episodes. Jeff Sucker said, and usually after six episodes, you get 22 episodes. You kind of go in the mid, at the time you went into the mid-season pickup, and then you'd get 13 and you get 22. And Jeff Zucker called him up, um, and uh, he said, I'm just going to give you six episodes. And he lost his mind, and you know he thought he'd failed, and he's one of the great writers. And I said to him, just stay in the ring. He goes, I'm not doing six episodes. Uh, it's such a sense. I said, let's just do six episodes and see what happened. And six episodes led to the season of The Office. And the same thing's true with Seinfeld and Larry David, who I represent. I mean, that's just what it takes. You just have to stay in the ring, take the beating, and just keep on going. There's plenty of times in my life when that happened at the, at the firm. Partner was stealing from me. We had no money. Went into the bank account. Paid, paid all the employees and didn't think we were going to make it to the next day. And just that's just what it, I, so I actually, enjoyed my own blood. <laughs> so, so you wrote, you wrote you know, Seinfeld and, and then obviously Curb. Um, Seinfeld was a huge hit right out of the gate. Is that how it went? No. No? So it was on, I want to say Wednesday, the, the, when they put it up and it got, you know, you go through testing, it said, this is about nothing. And... Um, First six episodes didn't work. Um, Brandon Tartikoff was in the hospital who had leukemia, his first bout. This is the executive who sponsored. He was the head of NBC. The sort of guy who was protecting it. And uh, he then saw the episodes and he said, you know, let's put the reruns on Thursday night behind Friends. It then, the ratings went up. They then ordered 13 episodes. They wanted to, I'm gonna screw up this. There was a problem with Larry David because he didn't want to listen to their notes. They brought somebody in. That man gave up his points because he said, you know, this show's going this nowhere. Yeah. <clears throat> he gave up, I think it was 15 points, which was... On Seinfeld. <laughs> he said, and he took, he took for the 15 points, I think, $250,000. I mean, the story's probably wrong. $250,000, and they were worth now hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, 
They then put it on Thursday night. Huge hit. You know, and but very, very tenuous at the beginning. Oh my like, God! Like e- even sign, bring it up just because oh, even Seinfeld. Yeah, it was about nothing. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so so you, you go back, and by the way, it's the same thing with a lot of the, a lot of these big successful companies. Like in the very beginning. Well, the other thing, the, th- the other thing that just gets buried in the history is you can sometimes get it out, but the other thing that gets buried in the history is this: for each of the great tech companies, there were almost always moments where they would have or almost did actually sell the company very, very, very early on. Mm-hmm. Really. And, so, and some of these stories are very famous. You've heard, you've heard a number of these stories. Yeah. Um, and you know they're very you know Netflix almost sold to Blockbuster like there were all these kind of points in time where Facebook be Yahoo Facebook well Facebook, Facebook. well Netflix got lucky because Blockbuster and Viacom which because he owned a big chunk of it had so much put so much debt on it they and they were about they had all the digital rights they just couldn't afford it and and Viacom ran into all the trouble when they were splitting the company up and everything else like that so well and, Facebook actually sold to Yahoo they actually had a completed deal really and then, and, yeah they actually had a completed deal they had a completed deal. At a billion dollars, and then uh, the CEO of Yahoo at the time, um, uh, the Terry, financial the, Terry, yeah. the financial crisis hit, and, and Yahoo reduced the price, um, and that gave Mark the yeah yeah, yeah. that gave Mark the latitude. So obviously, you need to adjust for the down market, and that gave, <laughs> and that gave Mark the latitude uh, to walk away. And then, and actually, the other funny part of that story is at, at that's that, crazy. At that time, well, it's even crazier. At that at that time, the internal the internal yes. Yahoo deal deck on buying Facebook. This is two thousand eight. Actually leaked to the press, and it it's actually, any public. You can still find it it's online. It's actually ran on TechCrunch. You can Google it. You can find it. And so it's the internal Yahoo projections for Facebook's future earnings stream. Um, and the over, what did it say? and the overwhelming reaction was that's insane. You know, Yahoo has lost their mind. There is no way that this thing can ever make that level of money. And of course, it you know that it undershot ultimately by like hundred x. You know what the value like, like Yahoo was being like crazily conservative. You know what the value of at the time when Disney bought Cap Cities ABC what what they but they valued ESPN at hmm. zero. zero. <laughs> it was at the time before linear and cable went to nothing. <clears throat> it was, you know, at the height, probably worth a hundred billion dollars. Right. Or, you know, right. Fifty billion. And was dollars. the theory there that just was it just not far enough along, or was the theory that yeah, watching a exactly. TV shows about enough, sports wasn't okay. far enough along? Yeah. And who was yeah. going to pay yeah. for sports? And, yeah. Yeah. So these things. Anyway, the, the, the point of the story is the point of the story. These things are like super tenuous up front. Like success is not, you know, it's, it, it, it's almost never the case that it's like, okay, this thing is going to be a slam dunk success and then it's a slam dunk success. It's yeah. almost always just a continuous fight against people who just literally yeah. don't believe. And the interesting about the, the Facebook story, and this is very public now, is that a lot of the Facebook exec team at the time, you know, were not happy with not selling to Yahoo. They really wanted to sell. Enough time has passed. People have talked about this. 100% of the Facebook executive team at that time wanted to sell. Except really? For, except for Mark. Yeah, it was overwhelming inside the company. I, I mean, my story is, we start the company. Three months in, I'm going to say a bad name now. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, I get called into Harvey Weinstein's hotel room <laughs> with my three partners at the time. <laughs> and he says, I've made a deal for you to... Uh, Go to William Morris. They're going to pay each one of you two and a half million dollars. Now, we had no money. I wasn't taking a salary. We were getting sued. It was a disaster. And uh, you'll go over there and they'll buy the company. Asshole, me, says to him, what are you fucking talking about? I'm going to buy them one day. (laughs) Cut to 15 years later. Did, Did all the people you were in the room with that day hang with you? Uh, except one he left okay. yeah. at the merger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we merged slash took them over. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, we're almost out of time. I want to ask one last thing to both of you. And I know both of you hate this, but I'm going to ask this anyway, right? So, I'm going to start with you, Mark. 
What is one thing over the many, many years you've known Ari that you've learned from Ari and then vice versa? But we'll start with you. Well, look, the big one, so Nietzsche has this term, will to power. Um, and so I think that would be my, just like, and you've, you've seen it demonstrated you know, in, in, the, in the stories today, which is just an overwhelming determination to get to the objective um, and to not let. Uh, another way to describe it is uh, Ari leaves an Ari manual shaped hole in any brick wall he encounters, <laughs> um, including, my, including my calendar, my phone call, my phone call. Um, and so, um, yeah, just like there, there, at the end of the day, like there is no substitute for sheer willpower mm -hmm. and determination. And so, and I think he's, he, has, he has a lot to teach about that. Definitely that um, phone calls are not as important. Oh, come on, come on. Give us something, give us something real. No, come listen, on. he's built one of the, we actually were just talking about this at lunch at his house. Um, you know, he's built a company that he's realized he, he continues to shift how he thinks about the world, and he's constantly curious about things that are happening in the world. And his capacity, and I think I have a pretty big capacity, it's not even close to his, to absorb all these different worlds and then take things from them and then incorporate it into his business is extraordinary. On that note, this has been Thank you. amazing. We're going to talk about the Mark and I. Thanks for listening to this episode. For more information about Time to Build LA, go to a16z.com.